Thanks, Dr. Green. You brought up my dad. That why did you? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I heart chapel. What can I say? Um, it's true. Uh, I recently figured out approximately how many chapels I've been to in my life. Kindergarten through 12th grade at a Christian school. Four years as a covenant student. Uh, back then we had chapel five days a week. That's right. I sat, I sat right back there. Uh, and then over 15 years of teaching at various Christian schools, including covenant. Admittedly, I don't come to every chapel but I come when I can. So the total number of chapels I've been to, does anyone want to guess? Yeah, yeah. Yes, a conservative estimate is 1,900. I was hoping it would be like 2,000. It might be 2,000, I don't know. Uh, so, there it is. All right, so do I remember every chapel talk or even the best ones? Of course not. But there have been many that have encouraged me, challenged me, introduced new ideas, increased my understanding, filled me with wonder, strengthened my faith, helped me to delight in God's creation, and deepened my love for Jesus. I don't think that's because those particular chapels were the best or even the most interesting or even the ones I worked hardest to pay attention to. The reason certain chapels have had such an impact on me is because in those moments, the Holy Spirit has chosen to take whatever truth was being presented and drive it straight to my heart. It has often been surprising. It is always unexpected. But to state the obvious, it would not have happened if I hadn't been in chapel on that particular day. I needed to put myself in the path of the Holy Spirit. I needed to show up. Have I always loved going to chapel? No. But do I love that the Lord overcomes that and teaches me things anyway? Yes. So I just want to encourage you, take advantage of chapel at Covenant as you're doing today. Put yourself in the path of the Holy Spirit. Many chapels will be forgettable, including probably this one. But I don't want you to, that's, they really will, you're not going to remember this. Um, <laughs> but I don't want you to miss out on the ones, or maybe even the one, that God might use to drive truth straight into your heart in a life-changing way. Okay, now on to my actual chapel talk. I'm going to do that every time, just to make sure it's up there. Here's the title, Practicing a Rhythm of Work and Rest. As Dr. Green mentioned, uh, the series of faculty chapels this year is focused on applying biblical truth to some aspect of our lives. The importance of this theme was made very clear to me just last week. I was in the UK with a group of people from churches in the US who went to visit several church planters in England and Scotland. You are probably aware that the UK, like Europe, is spiritually a very dark place. The church is almost non-existent. Church buildings have been turned into museums, restaurants, mosques. One of the biggest churches in Edinburgh is now a festival center. It's used to celebrate pagan festivals. Another former church is now a Frankenstein museum. One of the folks we met with said that the UK isn't really even post-Christian anymore. It's pre-Christian. 
He said people in his country aren't hostile toward Christianity because they don't even know what it is. I began to think, how did the UK, the land of John Knox, Charles Wesley, and C.S. Lewis, become a place where people don't know the name of Jesus, except as a swear word? And this happened very quickly, only in a generation or two. I asked several of our British friends their perspectives on this, and I heard answers like, well, religion stopped being taught in schools and things of that nature. But I thought, this can't be the whole story. Only a few decades ago, there were real Christians going to real Bible-believing churches. Why didn't parents teach their children about the faith and who would then teach their children and so on? In talking with people, um, they had much wisdom on this, and one of the big reasons, not the only reason, but a significant factor is that believers got into the habit of confining their faith, making it separate from the rest of their lives. God and faith and scripture stayed over here in the church corner and had no impact on the rest of their lives. Biblical truth had no impact on how they thought about work or family or entertainment or sexuality or culture or anything else. So when the church seemed to become irrelevant, people left it behind. And because their faith was not a factor in the rest of their lives, it didn't take long for faith to disappear altogether. At Covenant, we acknowledge that Christ is preeminent in all things. The Bible is relevant to every part of life, not just the church part. So it's critical that we continue to talk about this, that we can continue to challenge one another, to live as though this reality is true because it is. Christ is preeminent in all things. He is king over all, and his truth should impact every area of our lives, including how we think about work and rest. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I would like to, though, if you want to. I have really good, I'm really wise. I have, I have really good advice. So if you need any help um, figuring out what you should do with your, I'm, I will tell you. I will tell you. But not, not right now. I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do. Um, but I do want to talk about um, some things that I've learned, some of that truth that God has driven into my heart, truth that actually has changed my life. Have you ever heard the following statement? Find a job you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Have you heard this? I hate this statement. It's terrible. It's terrible. Now, we know what people mean when they say this. It's an encouragement to pursue a career that fits with your passion, your calling, what you enjoy doing, and your job will be meaningful, and you will love it. Agreed. But what I have a problem with is a negative view of work. Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. The message is that work is undesirable, that work is the opposite of something we love to do. Synonyms for work, according to the Oxford American Writers Thesaurus, include toil, slavery, drudgery, menial labor, slog. Slog. But scripture tells us that work is good. Genesis 2 says that work was created before the fall. In fact, one of the few things we know about the sinless life in the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve worked. They took care of the garden. The pain and hardship associated with work, the toil, the drudgery, the slog, came as a result of sin, but work itself was woven into God's original purpose for his creation. 
We are well into the second half of this semester. Being a student requires a lot of work. Let's remind ourselves and each other that work is good. But let's not forget about rest. God established a rhythm of work and rest at creation before the fall. He modeled this rhythm for us when he did the work of creation in six days and then rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath was created before the fall. Because, because God gave us rest, even before sin entered the world, we know that rest is good. Taking time for Sabbath rest fits with the way God made us. Rest is essential for our bodies and our souls. The Sabbath is a gift. Resting is not a sign of weakness or laziness or disobedience. In fact, we disobey when we ignore our need for rest. The most common answer I hear when I ask students how they were doing is, tired. You all are so tired all the time. You're nodding, yes, you're so tired. This is not what God intends for you. He wants you to work when it's time to work and rest when it's time to rest. Being a student can be a seven days a week job if you let it. I want to encourage you to not make it a seven days a week job. Now you may be thinking, that's not possible. I have too much to do. I can't take time to rest. Well, God says that you can, so do with that what you will. Let me be specific. On Sundays, do something other than homework. Go for a walk, bake cookies, write a letter, call a friend, stay off social media. Daydream, read a book for fun, do a puzzle. Set the day apart for worshiping and enjoying God in a special way. Make Sunday look different from the other days of the week. When we maintain a rhythm of both work and rest, not just resting, but not just working either, we imitate our creator. We follow the pattern that he has designed for us. So far, I've been talking about work and rest in the physical and mental realms. Now here are some things I've learned about spiritual work and rest. These are not my ideas. They come mainly from Joe Novenson's sermon series that I heard several years ago on the topic of Sabbath. It's another example of the Holy Spirit driving truth into my heart. I will not tell you how many sermons I've heard in my lifetime. It's more than the number of chapels I've been to. But these stuck with me. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. So the pattern was work, 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 then you can rest. But in the New Testament, with Jesus' resurrection happening on the first day of the week, the pattern of work and rest was turned upside down. Now the Sabbath is on the first day of the week. We begin with rest so that we can work. Think of work in the sense of obedience to the Lord, doing good works, and think of rest as the blessings of God, or resting in the knowledge of his grace. This is what Jesus has done for us. Rather than working in order to rest, obeying in order to earn God's blessings, our work comes out of our rest. We first experience the blessing of grace, and then we respond by obeying. This is as fancy, I'm just, I know a little bit about PowerPoint, and I can, I can make it do that, so that's, that's what we get.
Thank, oh, thanks, you guys. Yeah. Very kind. That was pity applause, but I will take it. So remember the hymn we just sang. And by the way, musicians, A plus. I just thank you. I appreciate it. So the hymn we just sang, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise and have made it mine. God's grace transforms us into people who want to imitate Christ. Resting in his grace also motivates us to obey. His grace enables us to obey by the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, obedience is possible. Again, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I think some of you need to hear this. Some of, I need to hear this myself. Obedience is possible not because of you, but because of Christ in you. Now, if you're not a Christian, I mean, you're on your own, I guess, trying to be good. Um, but guys, if, if you have Christ in you, you can choose obedience. I just want to encourage you with that. And I also want to encourage you, uh, just again, to guard the Sabbath. Take time to rest. Receive the gift that God has given you. When we prioritize the Sabbath, we are reminded that we rest in Christ. So guard the Sabbath and rest in Jesus' love for you. We're going to close by singing uh, Jesus, I am resting, resting one more time. Uh, but this time with a different tune. Is that right? Shaking it up a little bit. Um, so as you sing, pray that the Lord drives his truth into your heart.